Welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast, where you will hear transformational stories, positive encouragement, and practical strategies to help you grow your mindset, reach your potential, live your dreams, and experience a purpose-driven, impact-filled life. Here's your host, Alan Blaine. This is Alan Blaine, and I am fired up to interview our special guest today, Mark Terrell. Mark Terrell is a vision-driven leader with extensive management experience who brought about the turnaround of a bankrupt nonprofit that had 17 employees at the time, a budget of $600,000, and served 200 individuals annually to become one of Indiana's largest and fastest-growing nonprofits with, get this, 700 employees and a budget of $60 million all self-funded and serving over 50,000 individuals annually. Mark, welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast. Are you ready for this? I am as ready as I can be. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I've shared with our Life's Hard Succeed Anyway audience just a brief intro, but please share a little more about your background and how you came to be where you are today. Well, first of all, my background is really in finance. And I, for 10 years, did investing for high net worth individuals. Loved it. Never thought I'd do anything different. And I was on a board of a little organization. I had come off. And what I thought was a good friend of mine was the president of the organization came to me and said, Mark, would you take over this organization? And I looked at him and I said, no. It didn't even take a second. He goes, Mark, would you at least ask your wife? My answer, excuse my language, was hell no. We were designing and getting ready to build our dream home. And uh, he says, just ask her. I went home that day and I told my wife, my kids are playing and I'm laughing. And she goes, have you prayed about it? And bottom line is we prayed about it, made a list of 10 things that needed to have happen. Of those 10, I put three on the list that couldn't happen. I did not want to go. I liked what I was doing, loved the money I was making, whatever. And at the end of the day, God answered all 10. And at that point, you have to decide, you know, you always tell people, God, I'll do whatever you ask me. And he does. And he asks us. So we decided to go on this adventure. My wife, I can't believe she let me do it. We took a 75% cut in pay, went to a bankrupt organization with no benefits. And it has been the most incredible journey in my life. So that's what I did for 29 years. Last year, I retired from that. Someone goes, Mark, you didn't retire. You just refired. So I'm doing some new things now. But the word that describes what I've been through is the word awe. I'm in awe of what God did. And it wasn't Mark. Yeah, I'm in awe of what he did. So that's a synopsis of what I've done over the last 29 years. I'm beginning a new journey right now. Wow, Mark. That's exciting. So I want to go back to the point in the story where you were offered this position as CEO of this nonprofit 29, 30 years ago. You said you talked to your wife and said, you know, it wasn't really an option. She said, why isn't it an option? Have you prayed about it? But what was the list that you made? And you said there was 10 points. There were 10 things on the list. You know, I believe as the head of my household, my wife was a stay-at-home mom. We had, I think at that time, two or three children. And I didn't want that to happen. Two of them kids were in private school. And we made a list of things that needed to happen. We believed that they were responsibilities. And I put three things on the list that couldn't happen. They're impossible. And God answered all 10. And at that point, you're like, it wasn't nine. If he had given me nine, I would one would have been enough to get me moving the other place. But there were 10, 10 out of 10. Wow. And I always say, if you ever say, I got, I'm willing. And your wife says, if you prayed about it, you're doomed. So I don't know that that's <laughs> truth or biblical, but in my life it is. So, 
Wow. I love it. So if I understood right, together, you made a list of 10 things that would all have to happen to say yes to this new CEO position 30 years ago. And three of the things on the 10 you personally added that were in your mind, just like impossibilities almost. Oh, sure. No question. And yet all 10 happened. All 10. I guess before you said yes to the job? Before. Wow. No one ever thought I would do what I'm doing. I mean, I had two offices. I was making a lot of money. I loved what I was doing. I mean, I loved it. There was no negative. So for me to do this was only of God. I didn't want to do it. So he called me to do it and we decided to do it. And he has been incredibly faithful. What was that business again that you were doing, making great money that you stepped down from or gave up for this? I worked with Northwestern Mutual and at that point, Robert W. Baer. So I, was, I invested people's money. And my specialty was really retirement planning and estate planning. So I always joke, I had the opportunity to invest rich people's money and I love doing it. And I didn't just invest rich people's money. I had just a passion to help people get ready for the future. My father was a pastor, never made any money. And I just realized that education is something that a lot of people don't know. How do we get better and get ready? So that was why I was kind of driven towards that. I love it. So you take a 75% cut in pay, I think you said, to take this CEO position of this bankrupt nonprofit. And over the next 29 years, leading up to about a year ago, you scaled it from 17 employees to 700 and a $600,000 a year budget to a 60 million dollar year budget. And I found it very interesting. I know when we were talking the other day that you said it was all self-funded. I mean, most nonprofits are funded externally by donations or however that all takes place, but you are all internally self-funded. Is that unique in the nonprofit space? Very unique. And probably that was one of the things I think God asked me to do. I'm very much about business. Most nonprofits are very much about purpose. And we always say that we're 50% business and 50% purpose. And when you can have that mixture, most nonprofits focus all on purpose and then they don't do anything with business and vice versa. You can't be just about business. The reason we're about is about purpose. So it was very unusual and it took a while to get there. And so we were very fortunate that we got to a place that we were not dependent on any fundraising at all. Our contracts, our agreements with the state and federal government just blossomed. And we're an organization of faith in an environment where they hate faith. It's unbelievable that God allowed us to happen. And we got so big, so fast, so large that it became in a situation they really couldn't hurt us. Wow. It's unbelievable how God works that. That, that is not Mark. That is all God. I've got so many questions I want to ask you, but what was it that nonprofit was doing? What was the service they were providing? It was started by a group of businessmen almost 55 years ago. And at that time, young kids, young men in particular, who were in trouble with the law could be in jail with other adults. I mean, there was not an opportunity for kids and they realized that was a mistake. So they started a small group home and they added another one in independent living. So when I started, it was really all about residential care. Kids got in trouble, removed from their home. They'd live with us 365 days a year. We in year 2000 were building a brand new state-of-the-art campus and it has been built. But at the same time, we acquired a little nonprofit in a little town called LaGrange. And if anybody's from LaGrange, there at that point, there was one stoplight. Now there are two, but they did something unusual. Instead of removing kids, they decided that 
why don't we put people in the home to work with the family? I always joke, I was such a great leader. We started with five people the first week. By the end of the week, we had one. And that's true. Today, the organization is in 5,000 homes a week where we go into the home with coaches, counselors, therapists, and we don't just work with the child. We work with the entire family. And the success rate went through the roof. In fact, people said, don't do it. Don't do it. You're building this residential program. People won't come. And the reality is we said, it's always right to do the right thing. And we said, let's do it. And it lost money for three years. And now it is the largest thing my past organization does. Right. It still feels like yours, I'm sure, after 29 years of leading that from infancy to what it is today. And I love that. It's always right to do the right thing. Uh, I wrote that down. And I also loved what you said a few minutes ago. You retired to refire. Is that how you said it? You retired from that CEO position to refire. Tell us about that. What are you doing now? Well, you know, guys are laid on my heart um, things that he wanted me to do. And sometimes until you leave, you can't really do that. So I've started actually have a a for-profit and a non-profit business, but both of them are focused on family. Like I'm doing some consulting with some for-profit companies. and, And to be honest, they've asked me to work with them. And I said, I'll help you be the best leader you can be. I can help you be more successful. But if you're not interested in being a better father, a better husband, a better friend, then I'm not the right person because it's about family. I believe family is the problem in our country. So we're spending all this time, all this money on symptoms. We're not doing anything with the family because we're afraid that somebody's going to say, what's your definition of the family? So anything on that, on the for-profit is family. But the biggest thing I'm doing, in fact, I'm very close to raising about $1.2 million to do a beta test on 12 companies. And we're going to spend the next three years doing nothing but working with their employees, their spouses, and their children. Because when you do that, you can change not only the company, but change the culture and change those people. A lot of our friends who are not of faith have done all the work for us. Family has more to do with economics, health, education, and behavior than anything else. So what if we focused on it? And there's a place in Chattanooga, Tennessee, they started doing this in a little bit different format. They reduced the divorce rate by 30.2% in Chattanooga. 30.2. Wow. What's more exciting, if that's not exciting, they reduced the single parent birth rate in Chattanooga by 70%. Fort Wayne, Indiana, 78% of our African-American children today were born to a single parent family. They technically are doomed to any one of those things. Now, I hope that doesn't happen. We have to continue to provide those services. So my focus today, over the, whatever God gives me, is I believe that if we focus on the family, we can change this country. And people go, oh, you don't believe it. I go, no, I believe it. I had a leader about a week ago. He's very successful. He goes, Mark, the problem with me is that I don't dream big enough. This guy is very successful. He goes, that's not your problem. And I go, no, it's not my problem. Um, So that's what I'm doing on the for-profit side and the nonprofit side is I believe we can change this country one community at a time. And I think we have to prove it quantifiably get up and say, we're going to prove it. And that's what we're going to do. I love it, Mark. So you're refired, you're fired up, and you've got a whole new mission and purpose that's really right in line with what you've been doing for 29 years with the previous nonprofit. It's just a whole new twist to it, it sounds like, which is super exciting. You've obviously had a lot of success in life and in business. What would you say has been one of the practical keys to your success that we can all learn from? Well, I will say this. I think my success really is about hearing the shepherd's voice. 
And let me explain that. I'm a pastor's son. I'm from four generations of pastors. I always joke, I've been to more Sunday school classes, more prayer meetings than any of you. And unfortunately, prayer meetings, I think, are hell to a 13-year-old. Let's just put it that way. But I went to a small class probably 25 years ago, and this class basically challenged me to say, are you studying God's word? And most people say it's boring. It is. How can a book 22,000 years old be practical? And they challenged me in a way that I'd never heard. And the phrase that they said is, will you know the shepherd's voice when he calls your name? If you're never with him, how will you know when he calls your name to go right or left? I have a 94-year-old mom, and we're always talking about business. She goes, where did that idea come from? God. And studying God's word has changed my life. It's changed me as a leader, changed me as a father, changed me as a husband, changed me as a friend. And the reality is, I believe most men, and I'm going to use men in this case, they never study God's word. They don't understand it. And unfortunately, we fail to tell them, here's how you have a personal relationship with God. We failed. No one ever said, by the way, here's how you do it. It's kind of like being a husband. You're supposed to be the spiritual leader of your home, but nobody told you how. So I would tell you that from every perspective of my life, that is the difference in my life is that I have been fortunate enough to hear the shepherd's voice. And some people go, what do you mean, audible? No, but I will be praying about something, journaling about something, and that day the verse is about that. That is not by accident. So that'd be my answer. That is the thing that I'm incredibly passionate about with men, young leaders, that if we're not, how do you know when he calls your name? Is it by accident? I think you miss a lot. And that's what I'm passionate about. Well, I love it. And I love that you're sharing that. And it's so true and so needed to be shared in the world, in the world of business, in the world outside of business. So I really, really appreciate you sharing that, Mark. What would you say is one or more of the bigger challenges that you faced in your lifetime to this point? I knew the question was going to come up. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out there are three or four that I just immediately think of. I would tell you this, one of the things that I look back at is, you know, I've done this for about 24 years and to come to realize that our culture was broken in our organization. And I remember the day that we had done all these surveys and we're with my leaders on the right side of the room. We had all the good things we did, but on the left side were all these horrible words, things that we were failing. And I went home that day and I'm not a particularly emotional person. I wept, wept. And by chance, I was actually taking a sabbatical. It had nothing to do with it. And I spent the next month and a half like a mad scientist. My wife hated every day of that sabbatical. And I was like a mad scientist. I read every book I could on culture. I realized that I had failed. And we were not going the direction that God called us. And that was probably one of the most difficult things I was involved in. And then the most challenging and the most worthwhile thing was what we did about it. So that was 14 years in to your stint there as CEO? About seven years ago, maybe six years ago. Hasn't been that long ago. I'd been in the business for almost 22 years and we had had tremendous growth and we're still growing. Okay. But we were not going where God wanted us to go. Our culture was fractured. It was a mess. And we were at some point going to implode, explode, whatever word you want, because I didn't believe in the word culture, to be very honest with you. I thought culture was a joke. It gets thrown around like hamburger, and I always joke, 
You know, is a hamburger the same as a White Castle or is it the same as a Burger King or is Ruth Chris? They all have hamburgers. They're all different, though. But I just like, you know, give me a break. And it wasn't until I was faced with the fact that our culture was broken. We did not stand for anything. I stood for things, but our organization was just all over the place. And that wasn't okay with me. And what did you do when you came to that realization? Well, first thing is I came back to the board after my sabbatical and I said, I failed. That's hard. Yeah. I failed. Here's where we failed. And here's what I'm going to do about it. And the board was incredibly gracious. So I spent the next two years, I got the best and the brightest young leaders in every part of our organization. I brought them in and we spent time asking questions, challenging each other. Probably the most challenging two years of my life. There were questions that were asked that in 25 years or whatever had never heard before. And at the end of the day, we wrote a document literally over 250 pages long that we end up getting down to six. And it was phenomenal. It was about five things that we believe. Here are the five things we're committed to. And here's our vision. Here's our mission. We got that. We had that nailed. But culture kicks the butt of strategy every day. And I didn't understand that. And then the last thing is, we wrote out five things that were our spiritual bedrocks. This is what we believe. We will never move off this time. And all three of those things, it was like putting our stake in the ground. And now we have identified. Now the hard part is, how do you integrate? How do you challenge it in every possible way? And as a leader, some leaders, and I've done this in other things, I delegate. I'm going to delegate this to my young leader. I've done the hard work. Mm -mm. It was so important that I literally met with every single employee. I was on the road, every meeting, every video, every decision we made, we'd go through that grid. And if it didn't meet, we didn't change the culture. We didn't change who we are spiritually. We changed the decision, how we hired, how we fired, how we disciplined, the things we went after. If it didn't meet that, I came to realize I could never get bored at it. I can't. I must stay consistent with it. So we built it. I wasn't the only one a part of it. We delegated it. We integrated it. We taught about it. We videoed. I mean, I can't believe me, anything that could be done, we did. And we started to see this culture that was on a nosedive flatten and then do this. And it was incredible. And probably the most important thing I did in 29 years. It's the most important. It will be the long lasting forever, as long as the organization chooses to follow it and doesn't move away. And that happens. And I don't think it's happened today, but it could. That's the challenge. Right. So once you had that realization that, you know what, we failed in this area of culture and you humbly owned it as the CEO of the company, from that moment in time, you had that aha moment to okay, we're in a room, we're working through this, we're going to whiteboard it or whatever you did to go through the process of this is our vision, this is our mission statement, this is where we're going, this is the vision we have for our culture. How long did that whole process take? Was that a very quick process? Almost two years. Two years. Every single month meeting with these people. I got the best and the brightest. I got people that would disagree with me. You know, that was one of our core values is that we want disagreement. We want people to be able to disagree. We want them to do it in the right way because a lot of organizations, I want you to do it. I'm the smartest guy in the room. 
do what I tell you. Well, that's a horrible culture and it's not true. When I know I'm not the smartest person in the room, but these 12 people for the next two years, we met, challenged, asked questions, questions, frankly, I never even thought of. And it was really, really good. So I want to make sure I understood you right. The two-year process was forming your core values. It was forming your vision and mission statement, correct? Yeah. We knew what our mission was. We knew what our vision was. That was, frankly, the easy part. But saying, here's who we are. Today, we're all afraid to be able to put our stake in the ground. Is that a liability? Are we going to get sued for this? Whatever. And we literally took our core values and went to more attorneys than you can imagine to say, can we do this? Is it not possible? And whatever. And what came back was you're at more at risk not knowing who you are than who you are. And we said, this is who we are. We didn't do a purge of the people who didn't believe us. And that was something really important to me because I believe God brought those people to us for a reason. Now, did some people leave? Yes. People come to this organization because of this now. It is so rare that somebody can say, here's what we believe. Here's what we're committed to. And if we don't, you challenge us. I love it. Let's jump to the family then with this whole conversation. For anyone listening that has a family that says, hey, Maybe I have some idea of a vision for my family, a mission statement, core values, if you will. Maybe I don't. Maybe I've never even thought about it, but I see the importance of it in leading a family as much as leading a $60 million organization or any organization for that matter. Is there any advice you'd give to somebody? What tips you might give or tip you might give to them to develop that? You know, there's a, I read a book and I wish I could give credit to the author. So if the author listens and I apologize and I'll give it to you later. But this author says something that I thought was fascinating is if you can't define your win, how do you know if you won or not? Right. So for me, I have written out as a father, what is my win? What is my win as a husband? What is my win as a leader, what do I want my win to be? Because if we don't define that, how do we know? And it's hard work. You know, to say I'm going to spend half an hour and have these, that's not probably going to be accurate. But I think that's the first thing as a father say, you know, what do I want my wins to be? What are my dreams for my kids? I think that's really important. The second thing is another suggestion that I had a pastor once said, I've heard this many, many times. I'm busy. You're busy. We're all get busy. It's not about quantity time. It's about quality time. That's crap. Quality time comes out of quantity time. You can play all the games you want. Quality time comes out of quantity time. And I have a father who's passed away. He was a pastor. He was homeless at 16. He had nobody in his life. For years, he would say, give me your schedule for your football. Give me your schedule of this or whatever. He'd always put it on the schedule first and bothered me. I'm like, dad, I don't know. He put my family first. Only missed two ball games from fourth grade all the way through college where I played football, only missed two. And they were because of two cousins' weddings. He didn't, he wasn't even happy about that. But that to me, those are two things as a father and even as a family, define your win. And I think husbands and wives doing it together are really important. And then it goes back to the other thing is the Bible tells us we are the leaders of our homes. We don't get a pass. We can't say, well, my wife's got that covered. We don't have the pass. So Find somebody that can mentor you, that can love you, that can teach you, that can help you in that area. My son, my oldest son asked me a question 
He gave me 60 questions. He's an adult, just turned 35. And he asked me questions several years ago. Dad, who was your mentor? And if so, why and why not? And I said, my answer to him was, I never had a mentor, never had a coach. And the reason was, I was probably too arrogant to think I needed one, or I didn't know the value. Find somebody that'll love you and tell you the truth. And the higher we go, the less truth we get. Can you explain what you mean by that, Mark? People are afraid to tell us the truth. He's a CEO or, you know, whatever. And you know what? We start to read our press clippings. I mean, we're really good. I'm really smart. Look what I've done. And the fact is, I'm just a man. I'm a failed man. And I need people in my life. I have a center of friends that I always joke. Definition of friendship is people who will say bad things to your face and good things to your back. Yep. No, I know they love me. And I have had situations in life, even the last several years, this transition was difficult. Man, they were there. They stepped up. And that we need men in our lives. And we need people who are not afraid of us and who love us enough to tell us the truth. I love it. I love it. In fact, we had one of those men I think you might be talking about on our show. John Hands is one of your guys, right? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, John was episode 24. And what a great interview that was as well. Would you say that the challenges you've been through, I mean, I know you even shared with me a while back that you said you had a learning disability in school and and others, right? I mean, you've been through some things, but well, I guess the question is, how do you view the challenges in hindsight that they happen to you, that you walk through those? I think we all have challenges. It could be a learning disability, it could be a death, it could be anything, bankruptcy, financial, I mean, everything. I mean, we all have them. And, and I will say this, everybody has a story. Right. Some of us are just better than hiding it. So for me, at my 20th anniversary of what I was doing, God prompted me. This is not written for anybody else but me. I went through every year for that 20 years, and I wrote down one or two events that I could think of. And I did that. And I, said, oh, that's, I don't know why I did it, but I did it. And then later, God prompted me to say, what did you learn? And some of these events were horrible events. I had an employee who died in our employment, and I had to call her mom and dad. Never forget the scream, ever. Horrible. But every one of those things, I said, what did I learn? And when I got done, I could look at all these things God was doing to prepare me for this moment. And to me, that's what I look at is to say, the challenges I'm going through today, what is God doing to prepare me for the next? Now, do I like it? No, I just read the verse the other day, consider pure joy. I've got to tell you right now, that's a hard one. But when I sat back and I wrote those things, I would not have been ready to do the things I did if it wasn't for the things that I went through. And many times we will not do what he's asked us until he's taken everything away. Unfortunately. Yeah, I still remember, and it is a challenge, I'll let this go, but we were attacked on social media. I was personally attacked to the point that they closed down GoDaddy. GoDaddy is huge. They called me and said, Mark, if we can't get this stopped, we have to kick you out. It was that bad. And I remember sitting in my hot tub outside the back of my house, weeping, just crying, thinking, there's nothing I can do because I'm a good strategist and not let me do this. There was nothing. And I still remember the day I go, God, I can't do it. It's yours. That moment 
everything changed. So it's again, but it's hard when you're going through it. That, that whole thing, consider it pure joy. If somebody has an idea on how to do that on all those, I, I'd love to know because I haven't always felt like pure joy. Right. I love that James passage just because it's so challenging to me, but it's for me, it's never easy as you're saying. I'm not at all. I'm in agreement with you. But I think keeping the long range vision, like you're talking about, of knowing, you know, learning enough that we've come through challenges and we can look in hindsight and turn around and go, man, now I can see. And half the time, we probably don't even scratch the surface of what we really can see, like God can see of what he's done in the midst of the challenge, through it, during it, after it. But what we can see in hindsight often reveals some benefit. At least that's been my experience. I think is what you're saying too, is you can look back and go, man, I've learned this through this season, or I grew in this way, or I'm able to encourage others in this way now because of this experience. And I think just keeping that long-term vision of knowing, hey, there's more challenges ahead. And that always encourages me to know no matter how hard it is, I can at least be joyful in the sense with God's help only, because my flesh doesn't get too joyful about going through hard things but that he's going to work it all together for good in some way, somehow, even if I can't see right now, it's going to benefit me or others or somebody. Yeah. And you've already said you're not glad you went through the challenges, but you can see the benefit in them. If you could go back in time though, and give yourself some advice as a young man, I think we have a lot in common, but we have that one thing in common. You mentioned a minute ago that you either were too prideful. We, I was either too prideful, but I also didn't even know. I had nobody telling me, hey, Alan, it's very important to get a mentor. It's very important to get a coach. It's very important to have this. I really didn't know that in my teens or my 20s. Somewhere around my 30s, I started figuring it out. But if you could go back in time and give yourself some advice at 20 or any age for that matter, years ago, what would you tell yourself? Mine's probably unique to me. I hope nobody has this problem, but I have a tendency to be all or nothing. And let me give you an example. I grew up in a very bad part of town, whatever. People look down at me, whatever. So I had this personality that I will outwork you. I will think you out, mean you. There's nobody going to look down at me. I don't care what you think. I didn't care what anybody thought. So that's over on this side of the spectrum. That's good. And it's horrible. Now, the flip side is I have a tendency to overcorrect. Think about what, too much of what both people think and concern and whatever. So that's just as bad. So all my life, I have a tendency to overcorrect. So if I can tell Mark Terrell at 20, listen to the truth, find the shred of truth, but don't overcorrect. It's somewhere in the middle. Mm. That would be the thing that I've seen. And I could give example after example, example that I have overcorrected. And it takes me a little while to, oh, this isn't good either. This was not good. I could see that. So that would be the thing I would share is be willing to listen and look for the sliver of truth. Because even though you hear it, there generally is something there for you to learn. But sometimes I took it too far. That is great advice, Mark, that I haven't heard anybody, at least on this podcast yet, bring out. And I can so relate with that one as well. I'm extreme. I can go extreme this way and realize it's too far and then go extreme the other way. Actually, a mentor of mine to this day has always said in different words, there's a ditch on each side of the road. We want to be pedal to the metal on the road. Yes, it's not about moderating our energy, enthusiasm, or our passion, but there's an extreme on this ditch on the right side and there's the opposite extreme in the left ditch. And we don't want to be in either one. I think that's exactly what you're saying. Wow, that's really, really good. I love it. Any advice you'd give to anyone else that is listening now to this episode, this interview with you that may be in the midst of a challenge themselves? 
something God has been teaching me is I think it's typically when we're in challenges, I would monitor what you're telling yourself. I've been going through a book, Craig Rochelle's book, for the last two years, almost two and a half years. I'm a pretty good reader, but two and a half years is a long time to read a book. Right. What I've realized, though, is we tell ourselves lies and we start to believe them. And the reality is they're lies. And the fact is, so when you're going through that challenge, I think is when really does. I'm not a good leader. No one will follow me. What a fake. When they see who I am, I mean, what, you can go all 100 different ways. But to me, God has really shown me that there are lies that I bought. They're lies. And the second thing I would say is identify the lie. The next thing I would say is what is the truth? And the truth, I believe, goes back to what I said before is get on the Internet and say, what does God say about faith? What does he say about sin? What does he say about forgiveness? What does he say about hope? And filling that truth. You know, God says we can take captive every thought, but it is hard. The last thing I say is, what are you going to declare? And I believe Satan wants to defeat leaders. He wants to defeat Christian leaders in the worst possible way. And the more you're going through that challenge, I think it is. Are you going to buy into that lie? Or are you going to seek the truth? And maybe you need to get coaching. Maybe you need to get counseling. Maybe you need to whatever. That could be a part of that as well. But the same thing, we generally don't do the work. We're not willing to go, what does God really say about this? I wish I had learned this 30 years ago. And I'm just now having victory on this now, and I'm 61. What could I have done? And I think I have had some success. What could I have done if I was where I am today, 10 years ago? Right. That's what I would tell people. The things you're telling yourself, a lot of them are lies. What are you going to do about it? Great advice. Do you have a favorite success quote by any chance that you'd want to share with our listeners? There's so many of them. I love quotes, but probably the one that I mentioned before is, you know, it's always right to do the right thing. When we mess up, owning it, fixing it, not hiding it, not deceiving it. That's all the nature we want to do. And again, doing the right thing. When you fail, honoring it. When you say, this is what I'm going to charge you. And it's, you know, more, you honor it. That to me is probably the biggest thing is, and probably the other one's not really a quote, but, you know, I just think leaders, we have to be willing not to be liked. And if you can't do that, you might want to think about not being a leader. Expound upon that, Mark. I love to be liked. Don't get me wrong. But if my desire is to be liked, I can't make the right decisions. If 11 people say go right and you see it's go left, you have to have the courage and the where for all to say, we're going to go left. I listen to the 11, but I have to be willing to not go along. I have to be willing to have conflict and not be afraid of conflict. I don't know any leader at the upper echelons that goes along and gets along that doesn't stand for something. Because I always just suppose this, if you don't stand for something, you don't stand for anything. Stand for something. I don't care what it is. To me, those are some things that I just, I really believe strongly about. I like to be liked. And remember, I didn't care. I go over here, care too much. It's somewhere in here. Yeah, that's a good word. And you know what? It applies to parenting too, right? You said leadership. I mean, leadership takes all kinds of forms. If we only 
care about pleasing our children as a great example that everyone that has children can relate with, whether they're a CEO or leader of a, a business or organization or nonprofit. Everyone can agree with that, I would hope, that our decisions don't need to be commended by our children, right? Oh, sure. I have been blessed. I have four amazing children, amazing children. All four of them love the Lord. All four of them are uber successful, crazy successful. And I remember one day talking to one of my, it was probably my middle son at that time, and maybe my younger one at the time. We're talking about things I saw in the marketplace and my frustration with things. And you know, my middle son goes, not our issue, Dad. What do you mean it's not your issue? It's not our fault. I want to hear this one because I was fired up. He goes, Dad, my sister and my brothers, we don't do that. We know what's right. We know what's wrong. We know how to lead. We know how to work. We know that he goes, no, it's not our fault. It's parents' fault. He's right. They're so interested in being friends. And I see this all the time with the work I've done for 29 years. They're so busy wanting to be their friends and being hanging out. And I always say, I want to be respected, not liked. Right. In the future, I will be loved. That's a good word. Because I'm telling you right now, those who want to be liked, they won't be respected. And many times they are not loved. Kids want foundations. They want barriers. They want you to say no. They want you to discipline them. And it's hard. I hate it because many times when you discipline, you it hurts you. I don't get to go to the ball game because I stood the line in the sand. You know, and we didn't do it perfect, but I have a phenomenal wife, a phenomenal wife who partnered with me and helped me in that area. But, you know, when he said it's not our fault, he was right. We as parents are going to reap what we sow. Wow. So good. So good. What would you say is one habit that's helped you? in your success in life, Mark? I'm a morning person. I get up, I'm probably up at five every day. I get more work done from six o'clock to nine o'clock than most people do all day. I'm by myself, it's quiet. I'm able to have time in the word, but then I go at it. Um, So I would say that is one of the things that has really helped me because as soon as you walk in that office, all hell breaks loose. I have the most wonderful receptions. And she's one every day. She goes, Mark, how are you doing? And I go, I'm amazing. And she goes, why are you amazing? I haven't been here long enough to not be amazing. (laughs) Because that's just a part of life. But find your time to work. And the other thing is that most leaders don't do this. And I'm really shocked the more I ask the question is, I believe in solace. I believe in taking time away to think. As a leader, our job is to make decisions and to think. It isn't to be in the office eight hours a day or 10 hours a day or 12 hours a day, whatever you take pride in. Our goal is to make four or five incredibly important decisions a year. Probably three or four times a year, I go away for two or three days. And I pray, I think, I go to art museums, I go hiking, I ride bikes, I go kayaking all by myself. And I've never, ever come back without an answer. Ever. And I believe it. it's thinking. You know, and I asked a pastor once, says, when do you listen to God? And he looked at me like I was crazy. I go, no, no, when do you listen? And he kind of still looked funny. And I go, is it between appointments? He didn't answer me, but I knew that was the answer. I just think you have to take time to think and dream. And that to me is probably the other thing has really been valuable for me, realizing that I have to have that time to get things right in my head. And remember what I said earlier, listen to the shepherd's voice. 
And I could do fun things with it. I do, I've done a lot of fun things. Right. So good. So good. I'm hearing you saying making time for the important and not letting the urgent just run your day, your life, really. Yep. I think is what I'm hearing you say. And I know that's something I certainly want to and need to grow in. And I would guess most of our listeners probably could also agree with that. So I really appreciate you sharing that. What did you say is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received? Mm, wow. I hope my wife won't listen to this because she's going to hold it against me. But <laughs> it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Right. You can be absolutely right. But if you deliver it in a way that can't be heard, it doesn't matter how right you are. Hey, I think God had you say that for me today. That is sometimes my weakness, especially communicating with teenage children. I'm sure it's applicable for my life and other areas as well. And that is such a great point. It is not what you say as much as how you say it. Such a good word. What's one book that you recommend? I'm sure you've read plenty. You know, I've read a lot of books. There's so many. But I'll tell you the one I'm really excited about right now is The Working Genius that Lexiani's come out with. I have never met him. I would love to meet him. I would love to have like a few hours of his time just to brainstorm with him. But I think that may be one of the best business books I've ever read. I've got hundreds of leadership books I read all the time, listen to podcasts, things like that. From a business perspective, I wish it had been available 10 years ago. With my clients, with the things that I'm doing in the for-profit space particularly, it's life-changing. It's changing businesses. So I think that probably be the book that I would highly recommend now. There are lots of other ones. Probably the other one that I would say is not a business book is it's called Soul Provider. And Soul Provider is a book that says you're told to be the spiritual leader of your home. Here's how to do it. Love it. Good stuff. Thank you. Sounds like two great ones. What would you say if I asked you your definition of success? What would you say back to me? Well, I'm going to tell you my definition of success. I actually have one. All right. I don't say it to very many people because it may come across arrogant or whatever, hubris or whatever. So my definition of success is that I want to influence people to know my Lord without ever saying a word. That's my definition. How can I influence people to want my Jesus without ever saying anything? And, you know, I don't do that. I fail every day at that. And what happens is people are looking at us. They're looking at, are we in shape or not in shape? How do we talk? How do we love our wives? How do we hold their hands? They're looking at everything we do. And the reality is people are judging us. That's my definition of success. Can I influence people to want my Jesus without ever saying a word? And I'd love to tell you I'm there, but I'm not. But that's my goal. That's my definition of success. I love it. That is a great one. That is awesome. What would you say when you think about the future, Mark, excites you? Probably a lot of things. Yeah, there's a lot of things. I mean, I love what I'm doing and I love what God has given me my vision and, and to be able to do the thing in the family. But you know what? This last year has been a lot of transition. Some of the good, some of the bad. It's just hard. Transition is hard. And one day my wife and I were watching a show and they're dancing. And I looked at her and I said, that's what I want us to do. She goes, what do you mean dancing? You go, I want to spend this next chapter of our life dancing, enjoying each other's company, you know, appreciating our grandchildren and our children, but having joy. 
and it's plenty for Christmas. We haven't done it yet. And I'm a horrible dancer. If you go to weddings, I'll be the kind of guy that sleeps over the side, whatever. But for Christmas, I bought her a video thing that we're going to start working on in the basement. Our basement just flooded that we do together and we're going to learn to dance. I love it. And the, and the metaphor just really is enjoying my precious bride. I've learned grace and forgiveness through her. She has been the supporter. It's her time. It's her time. Wow. I love that, Mark. That's so good. That is a future worth being very excited about. I'm smiling ear to ear and I'm, my eyes are getting a little wet just seeing your passion about that. And uh, my heart resonates with you in that regard. How fun. How can our listeners, I don't know if you have social media, is there any way our listeners could follow along on your journey or contact you if they want to? How would that be? Yeah, I laughed. I was with a guy yesterday. He goes, Mark, your LinkedIn is kind of blank. And I go, yeah, by, de by design it is. Because coming in about a month, we're going to be rolling out both on the nonprofit and the for-profit. We've done that by design. But if they would go to, I'm just going to give a phone number, 260-438-8396. I don't care if people call me. If they're passionate about wanting to know Jesus or they want to know about how to journal or they want leadership, I'm there to help. Someone said, do you have to have X amount of million to do this? I go, no. Somebody pays me in diet root beer to work with them. <laughs> True story. But the company is going to be called Project Us Incorporated. That's the nonprofit, Project Us Incorporated. And the for-profit, because I'm so creative, I just went to, I'm a social media genius. It's called Project Us LLC. Now, I have a social media guy that I'm hired and he hasn't really got to me yet. I'm sure he's going to be doing that. But the goal is, I love leadership. I love helping people be successful. I work just as hard for the guy who gives me a diet root beer as I will a guy that gives me more money than I should get. That's how they would get a hold of me. And I'm going to use this time in my life to go after my purpose, which is family, to use the talents that God has given me, whatever those are. And the third one is to have fun doing it. I love it. I'm going to give you the closing comment, Mark. You've shared so much amazing information here. I've just taken copious amounts of notes and loved every minute of it. But do you have a closing comment you might want to share with our listeners on the way out? <laughs> I would say this is that, you know, this is a very busy time in all of our lives. The world is going so fast. What we listen to on television, what we hear on the radio, I mean, just newspapers, everything is bad. And I think many people have given up. They're basically saying the world is hell. We're just going to wait for Jesus to come back. I've been to a concentration camp. If you've never been, you should go. I had no idea that there were 16 or 17 of these, but they were massive. I can't imagine that those people in those conservations said, Jesus is coming now. God has not told us to quit. It is our responsibility to lead and not sit back and wait and let the rest of the world go past us. It angers me that we are sitting back. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that I'm supposed to sit back. Nowhere in the Bible says I'm supposed to be mediocre. Nowhere it says I'm supposed to be less than. I have all this power to unleash on this world. And that to me is what I would tell people. Stop sitting back. We don't know when he's coming back. I hope it's today. That'd be awesome. But it may be a thousand years from now. So that'd be my other thing is, let's go get it. At the end of the day, 
I'm going to go out swinging. And I want other people to join me because we need leaders. And it's rare. We need leaders to stand up and lead their companies, to lead their families. And to be honest, people look at us, what's different? Stop talking it and do it. Wow. What a great word to go out on. Mark, thank you so much for taking your time to come on here and share with our listeners, with me. It's been fun. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time. And thanks for giving me this opportunity. I appreciate it. If you love this podcast, grab some of Alan's free resources on his website at alanblain.com, spelled A-L-L-A-N-B-L-A-I-N.com. You can also find links to Alan's Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok there in his contact page. Lastly, if you can leave a five-star review for us on your favorite podcast app, that will get these messages out to more people and it will really mean the world to us. Thanks in advance and make it a great day.